There it is. Alright, moving on. Did the microphone drink I've been a sports fan my entire life because all of my friends are horrible people. Yes, Cam had a very bad game. Can we get that on tape? Get that overrated piece of crap out of this conversation. <laughs> are you sure you want this on tape? That's what I was transitioning to. Big time Timmy Jim Chris Sale Bartello Cologne. A lot of tears and a lot of beers. I can't argue with anything you say. Hello and welcome to an episode of Late Night Shots. It is just me tonight. I'm all by myself. Um, Brad couldn't make it. Landon couldn't make it. Alex couldn't make it. So it's just going to be me. And luckily we waited, or at least I waited, until Wednesday to do this because it's set up for the perfect mulligan. It's the Cardinals and the Braves because Game 5, you think everything on the line, both teams are going to show up. The Braves did not show up at all. Uh, they gave up 10 runs in the first inning to the Cardinals. Mike fulton got rocked. He gave up six earned runs, seven runs in a third of an inning. Game five in the playoffs, you got to bring it, and fulton did not do that at all. Uh, just three hits and three walks, but still, everyone got on, on base against him. Everybody scored. It was terrible. Um, the game was over before it could even get started. If you turn into this game 15 minutes late, you missed it. It was over. And what sucks for the Braves is in baseball, it's like it's almost impossible to come down from a deficit that much, and you still have to play out the rest of the game. So the Braves had to play baseball for the next three hours because this happened in the top of the first. It was ten nothing after the top of the first. Like that's unprecedented in baseball, and the Cardinals did it against the Braves. And the Braves had to play this game for another three hours. I can't even imagine. Playing 160, what, this is 167th game of the season, I think. And it's over, and you just have to go through the motions for the next three hours. That's that's so rough, and the Braves are a better team than this. I'm, the Cardinals are good, but this is just embarrassing for the Braves, and there's no reason that this should have happened. I mean, you go through and look at the first four games of the series. It's one run, three runs, two run, one run differences. And then they lose by a dozen in this game. I can't even imagine what it would have been like. This is in Atlanta, too. Like, you have home field for this reason, so you could take advantage of game five. And they just straight up pooped the bed. I don't even know what else to say. Like, for Flaherty going out there for the Cardinals, having a 10-run lead, he can just go for it. Like, a pitcher knowing that he can just be super aggressive because it doesn't really matter if he gives up a couple runs is it makes it even tougher for the Braves. And unfortunately for them, their season's over and the cards are going to go play the winner of the Dodgers and nationals, which is like eighth inning right now. Dodgers are up three to two nationals just scored. So maybe by the end of this podcast, that game will be over and we'll know who the Cardinals are playing. But Atlanta definitely wants a mulligan. If you want to take advantage of your mulligan, head to Homestead Farm and Golf out in Linden, Washington. Mention late night shots for a free small bag of range balls. They have Cleveland and Trixon clubs and apparel in the pro shop. Um, now that it is October, the days are shorter and the rates have gone down to complement that. So you can get some cheaper golf. Make sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Stay up to date on all their upcoming winter events. They're going to have some fun leagues and mini tournaments. So even though the days are shorter, they're still trying to have some fun out there and get you some cheap golf while you're at it. So make sure to head to Homestead for all your golfing needs. So kind of like the last time I did this podcast by myself, we're just going to go through all the games, talk about them for a couple minutes and move on. Um, seems like a good way to do it. And the Nationals just scored again, so it's 3-3. Three to three. Looks like the Dodgers' bullpen is blowing it, so at least one of the games today was good. Um, but a game that came down to it at the very end was the Thursday night game between the Rams and the Seahawks in Seattle. Um, the only good, thing about the, or only good thing the Rams did was they made it five straight weeks in a row that the underdog had covered. Because Seattle was a one and a half point favorite in this game, which really ruined a lot of people who put money on the game, probably. Because if you're going to bet on a team that's a one and a half point favorite, you're probably going to just take them to cover the spread because it gets you more money that way. So the Seahawks win, but they win by one. And it all came down to Greg the Leg, Legatron, Gregatron, Greg Zerline, whatever you want to call him. Had about a 44 yarder, I think. Um, the Rams were able to drive down at the end, get in range for a field goal. You think Zerline should have or should be able to make this kick, and he doesn't do it. Um, 
Seattle almost had a big mistake right before that where Russell Wilson gets them down to the five. I think it's fourth and goal. Throws it uh, into the the close corner of the end zone if you're watching on TV. And Chris Carson almost drops it. He bobbles it. And luckily there's no Ram within the camera view pretty much. The closest guy is another Seahawks player. He bobbles it. Then he catches it, comes down in the end zone. Touchdown. Seahawks go up after. Yeah, they go up 30-29. I think they went for two, didn't get it. So they're up by one, and the Rams just aren't able to do it. Um, Russell Wilson's looked incredible so far this season. I don't think he's thrown a pick. He's one of the leading MVP candidates. And on the other side, Jared Goff is not looking like a $150 million quarterback or however much he's making after he signed that enormous extension. And, yeah, he's been putting up a lot of yards, but it's because they've been throwing the ball a lot. Um, talked about it with Brad last week where, yeah, he threw for 500 and. 15 yards or whatever it was, but it was on 7.6 yards per attempt. Um, this week he was 29 of 49, so it's not that great of a percentage, just under 60%, 395 yards. So you're looking at 8, 8.1 yards per attempt. So it's decent, but it's not that great. It's just he's throwing 50 times a game, so of course he's going to have yards. Um, you look at somebody like Russ or really any of the other quarterbacks in the league, and if they are throwing 50 times, it's going to be for a lot more yards than that. Russ only threw 23 times and he was 268. So that's 11.7. Um, and Seattle's offense was just kind of able to do whatever they wanted all night. And the Rams defense, it kind of goes hand in hand because the Rams defense has not looked that good this year. Uh, Carson goes 27 for 118 after some two headed backfield type things with the Seahawks with Carson and Penny. Carson really took the lead in this game. Uh, 27 compared to Penny six. On the other side, Gurley, he definitely looks like he's feeling the after effects of that knee tendonitis, 15 for 51. Um, the, the Rams were able to get some yards for Cooper Cup, and Gerald Everett came out of nowhere, their tight end. He goes 7 for 136. Um, Will Disley continues to surprise. He went 4 for 81, and the Seahawks got just enough offense in this game to be able to outlast the Rams and go into second place all by themselves in the division. Um one of the teams in the division who had the worst record heading into this week was the Cardinals, and they went to Cincinnati to play the Bengals, and lucky for them, they found one of the few teams in the NFL that are worse than them. They jumped out to an early lead. Um, I think it was 20 to 20 to 9 at one point. Um, Bengals scored twice and actually took the lead. And then Kyler Murray showed why he's one of the most athletic people in the NFL. And he scored a touchdown at the end of the game to give them a 26-23 lead and get the Cardinals their first win of the season. Uh, they're now 1-3-1. And, and Murray had a decent game. He ran 10 times for 93 yards, threw for, or ran in that last touchdown. Um, and on the other side, Andy Dalton continues to put up decent-looking numbers. And Tony, you realize it's all in the second half when they're down by multiple scores. And it's like the Blake Bortles thing or some of the Matthew Stafford years where all these passing yards are coming in situations that really don't matter. Um, because it was against the Cardinals, who have one of the worst secondaries in football right now with Peterson still out, I think. Um, their other corner is out. And so it doesn't surprise that Dalton was able to end up with 262 yards. But I think this is second week in a row or second out of the last three weeks where as it approaches halftime, Dalton's under 25 yards passing. And you just can't have that from your quarterback. I don't know if it's because their offensive line is bad um, or if it's because teams just jump out to a lead right away and they're having to throw. And because teams know he's throwing, he's not able to get completions until the defense starts to get tired in the second half. Um, with all those throws in the second half, Tyler Boyd was allowed to go off again. He went 10 for 123 with a touchdown. He's really the only weapon for the Bengals right now because John Ross is hurt. A.J. Green's still out. I don't know if he's out because he's hurt or he's out because he just doesn't want to play for this team, which is understandable. But the Bengals fall to 0-5, and they're now one of the three teams in the NFL who's 0-5, I think. Um, and it's not looking good for them. They just don't look like a team that's going to win. Uh, you got the Dolphins who are winless. But they're doing it on purpose because they want that top pick. But when you get to like the Bengals and the Redskins, it seems like they are just failing because of their own ineptitude as an organization. They just don't seem like a great team, and I love it because it's better for everything else in the AFC North. One of the teams that 
has been like the Bengals and Cardinals in the years past, just not been good, but has turned it around actually because of good draft picks and focusing on the defense is the Bills. As they improved to four and one after beating the Titans fourteen to seven. And unfortunately for the Titans and Brad, if they had a kicker, they'd probably win this game. Uh, Cairo Santos missed as many field goals as the Bills have wins. That's right, he w- missed four field goals and actually got cut earlier this week. Um, when you lose by seven and you miss four field goals, that's horrible. Um, one of the field goals attempts didn't even make sense. Down fourteen to seven in the fourth quarter with six, eight minutes left somewhere in there. The Titans tried to kick a 50-some or a long 40-yard field goal, I think, which doesn't make sense when your kicker's already missed a couple. You're down a touchdown. The only point in kicking a field goal is thinking that the other team's going to score a field goal, and then you're going to have to score a touchdown. Where You know you're going to need a touchdown. You need to get into the end zone. You might as well go for it, even if it is fourth down, even if it's fourth and long. I mean, it's not like they were on their own side of the field. They were in Bill's territory. And the fact that they didn't go for it just didn't make sense. And I don't know if uh, Variable was just trying to confuse the Bills and get like a false start or something or offside, something like that. But just the Titans didn't look good. And they've kind of been, like Brad said, they're a very up and down team. Um, it's it's tough when you play the Bills because their defense is really good. We talked about it before the season started that they focused on defense. They got in a lot of good players. They got a lot of talent on that defense. And Josh Allen does just enough on offense to get them wins. Um, he was cleared on Friday or Saturday after being a limited participant after that concussion. And then he played full practice on Friday. So he was able to play instead of Matt Barkley, which is probably a relief to football fans everywhere. Uh, so the Bills were able to take the win. Uh, Josh Allen was able to play, but another quarterback is not going to be able to play for a while, and that's Mitch Trubisky. Chase Daniel took his place for the Bears, and the Bears left their game in Chicago because they did not show up in London. Uh, It sounded like the Bears didn't get to London until Saturday, so they only gave themselves a day to make up for that eight-hour time difference where the Raiders got there earlier in the week. And the Raiders put up 17 in the second quarter to take a 17-0 lead on the Bears. I don't know how many times you would have to play this game to guess that or how many guesses you would need to make on a score at halftime in this game. But 17, nothing for the Raiders was not one you would expect, Um, especially with the bears having a great defense, especially a good run defense. Josh Jacobs had his way with this team. Uh, He goes 26 for 123 and two touchdowns. And even Allen, or we'll get to that later, but yeah, Josh Jacobs just, he goes all over this team. Um, Derek Carr was able to be a great manager short game passer he only had one pass travel over 10 yards and only a handful travel over five yards and um, so everything was short and quick which negated the pass rush which negated Cleo Mack the Bears actually did not have a sack in this game I think heading into this game I expected Cleo Mack to go off because of the revenge factor and all that wanting to do good against the Raiders and you'd think the Bears would just be better managed than this, but they didn't show up in London and they needed this game because they have one of the toughest schedules in football and falling to three and two in a division with depends on how you feel about in the Vikings and then the Packers, even the lions right now that it's not going to be easy for the bears to get home field or even make it back to the playoffs. And they really need to take advantage of these winnable games when they get them. And then you got the saints that they have a backup quarterback as well. And Teddy, two gloves, Teddy Bridgewater and, He's not hasn't thrown a lot of touchdowns in his time since the horrible knee injury he suffered with Minnesota. But he comes into this game against the Bucks. It's in New Orleans. He throws four touchdowns. And part of it, he's like, oh, yeah, Michael Thomas, I got a top three, top four receiver in the NFL. I'm going to him, and I'm going to him often. Because Michael Thomas had 11 catches for 182 yards and two touchdowns. The Saints were able to just put up a lot of points, put them up consistently. And after an early Bucks touchdown, the Saints kind of took control of it. It was 17 to 10 at halftime, and they just never really relented. Um, the Bucks are able to score, but the weird part about this game was a lot of people playing fantasy thought Mike Evans got hurt or something happened or Yahoo was broken because Mike Evans didn't have a catch. Yeah, let that sink in. Mike Evans, the guy who had about 180 yards and three touchdowns in a game earlier this year, didn't have a catch in the game against the Saints. I don't know if that's just because Chris Godwin went off. I don't know if that's because Marshawn Lattimore shut him down, which I think has happened in the past. 
or if Jameis was just afraid of throwing a pick six because he does like to do that. But Mike Evans ended up with no catches, and it just wasn't enough for the Bucks because they ended up losing and falling to two and three, and the Saints improved to four and one, and they are undefeated at home so far. And this is exactly what the Saints want. They keep winning these games without Breeze, and the way the division is looking with Atlanta's trash, the Bucks are going to be okay. Carolina's been feisty, but the Saints are sitting in the lead, and they kind of control their own destiny, especially until Breeze gets back. And then you got the Vikings, as they they looked dominant in this game, and Cousins actually looked like he could throw the ball. Um, there had been some talk in the locker room about Adam Thielen going off about the passing game, and Stephon Diggs wanting to be traded, supposedly, and saying there's truth to the rumors about it. So the Vikings come out, and Cousins goes 22 for 27 for 306 yards and two touchdowns, and both of them were to Thielen. He had one early I think it was early in the second quarter and the other one in the third quarter. And Thielen just had a great game, 7 for 130 with those two touchdowns. And the Vikings just, they showed why they're a better team than the Giants. The Giants had got, had two straight wins, but it was against the Skins and the Bucks in that weird game that they should not have won because Bruce Arians thought his kicker liked to kick further field goals than closer field goals. So 28 to 10 here, and the Vikings showed that, yeah, they might not be a Super Bowl-type team, but they are a team that should be able to make it to the playoffs. And a team that's also 3-2 and two is the Eagles. They started off this season kind of slow, but that was due to no receivers able to catch the ball because Aguilar keeps on dropping passes. Um, just kind of some some rough events. But they go to 3-2 and two with a 31-6 shellacking of the Jets. The Jets didn't score until late in the fourth, I think. Uh, so it was 31 nothing. This wasn't even a game. If you were watching it, it was probably just because you hate the Jets or you enjoy punishment or something like that. Um, Carson Wentz didn't even have a great game didn't go for 200 yards but they didn't need to um, early in the game Nick Gary I think is his name it's G-E-R-R-Y he returned an interception for a score Orlando Sandrick had a strip sack um, and the Eagles just had their way but another 3-2 and two team uh, keeping in line with all the 3-2 and two teams that did not have their way and looked like they might lose the game was the Ravens they were able to squeak it out against the Steelers winning 26-23 to and I was nervous throughout this whole game. Um, and going along with feeling nervous, then you feel horrible because you see Mason Rudolph look like he got killed on the field. Um, he goes to throw kind of a jump pass, and depending on how you feel about how Earl Thomas tackled him, he, he did kind of lead with his head, go up into him, and he hit him kind of right in the jaw, and Rudolph was out on his feet. Watching the replay, when you get the camera that's on his face, he's knocked out instantly. And he just lays on the ground, and like Juju Smith-Schuster, he falls to his feet because he thinks something's seriously wrong. And then to make matters worse, they can't get the card out there. It breaks down. So they take off Rudolph's face mask so they can get to his face, and they leave his helmet on because they do that in case anything's actually wrong with their skull. And they have to carry this guy who is knocked out off the field. And it's just not a good look for the Steelers right there. Um, you think maybe a backup cart or something else, like a stretcher, so you can lay him down and carry him off. But it was just a bad look to carry him off. Um, but their third-string quarterback, who most people had never even heard of, I hadn't heard of, um, Devlin, Ho yeah, Devlin Hodges. Sounds like a running back, but yeah, he is a quarterback. Um, he actually kept them in this game. The Steelers had a chance to win. But Justin Tucker came through, uh, kicked a couple field goals in the fourth, kicked one in overtime, and thanks to Fruit Punch Marlon Humphrey, he knocked the ball out of Smith-Schuster's hands in overtime. And after the ball kind of got batted around, Humphrey actually got back up and recovered it. And what else was weird in this overtime was the Steelers won the coin toss and deferred, so they were putting the pressure on Baltimore to try and drive down and do something. And you got to remember that it's not the field goal rule anymore in overtime. It's first team to score a touchdown or once each team gets the ball, first team to score. But it's kind of dangerous to put the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands with how athletic and explosive he can be and challenge him to score a touchdown. Um, it could have worked out for the Steelers if not for that juju fumble, but thankfully it worked out for the Ravens and Tucker was able to come through with a game-winning field goal to get them to 3-2 and two and take the lead in this division. Real quick touch on the Patriots-Redskins game. Uh, Redskins had a long touchdown at the start to go up 7 nothing, 
And then the Patriots scored 33 straight, so the Patriots are 5-0, and and the Redskins are 0-5. Kind of no surprise there that the Patriots picked apart the Redskins. And a game that was close back and forth and had an insane amount of Hail Mary attempts at the end was Panthers-Jaguars. Uh, Panthers ended up pulling through 34-27, to so they go to 3-2 and as well. A lot of 3-2 and teams right now. And McCaffrey ties a career high with 237 yards from scrimmage. Kind of odd that he's done that twice. Um, had another long touchdown run. He goes 19 carries for 176 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and the Panthers were able to pull it out. It was back and forth. DJ Chark tried to keep him in the game for Jacksonville with two touchdowns, 164 yards. Gardner Minshew throws for 374 yards. And at the end of the game, he gets a chance at a Hail Mary penalty. Another chance at a Hail Mary penalty. Another chance at a Hail Mary penalty. And finally, one last Hail Mary that I think he was blitzed on and he wasn't even able to get the ball to the end zone. And Keekley just knocked the ball down and the game was finally over. So the Panthers go to 3-2 and two and the Jaguars go to 2-3, and three, which makes Teddy two, or What's his nickname? Shortfoot Ted. He makes him sad, but it makes Landon happy. There are a lot of sad fans in Atlanta right now as well because they got shellac they got destroyed they got beat worse than my fantasy football team because nate had deshaun watson and will fuller watson goes 28 for 33 with 430 yards and five touchdowns will fuller 14 catches 217 yards three touchdowns en route to the texans scoring 53 points texans put up 53 points on this falcons team who a lot of people thought might make the playoffs and the falcons now set at one and four and they put up 32 points in this game, but when you're behind by that much, it just doesn't even matter. And what's funny is they lost by 21. They were ahead by a point at halftime. It was 16-17 to 17 at halftime. Texans scored 17 in the third and 20 in the fourth. And if this is a sign of anything to come for the Texans that they're going to be able to put up points, it's just great for them. Um, part of it might be that Atlanta has no pass rush. They just don't have a defense at all. Um, the Texans' weak point is their offensive line, and when Watson gets time to throw, he shows what he can do. He's one of the most explosive people in football um, ever since he came into the league with that crazy Thursday night game, I want to say, where he broke off like a 55-yard touchdown run, made some guys miss. He's just showed that he's just an incredible athlete, and he's able to put together games like this. He can do it with his legs and, more importantly, with his arm. Another 1-4 team like the Falcons, but this one gets their first win, and stays out of that dreaded 0-5 spot. It's the Broncos as they hop out to an early 14-0 lead in route to a 20-13 win over the Chargers. Uh, Philip Lindsay had a nice game, averaging over 9 yards a carry, almost 10 yards a carry. Or no, sorry, looked at that wrong. 8 yards a carry, my bad. Um, Cortland Sutton gets a touchdown. Joe Flacco started off nice, and Philip Rivers didn't throw a touchdown here. Um, that's probably the most surprising with the way the Broncos' defense has looked and with how the Chargers' offenses looked. You thought, the Chargers would have put up some more points. Instead, they were shut out in the first half. Broncos were up 17-0. And the Broncos just looked good in this game. Um, we talked about it last week. I think that the Broncos could be 3-2 and two at this point. They had those two field goals. They had a weird game against the Packers and that weird game at the start of the year against the Raiders. The Raiders actually look decent now. So maybe the Broncos at 1-4, things aren't as bad. Uh, last year, there was a team that was 1-4 and, and made the playoffs. A little bit different at 0-4 because you got to win, pretty much go 10-2 and to finish the season. But last year, the Colts were 1-4, and and they ended up making the playoffs. And with the Broncos' defense, even with Chubb out, maybe it revitalizes the rest of that defense to play harder. And it, the Broncos, they, they could make some noise. It's going to be difficult to get to 9 or 10 wins at this point. But, hey, you never know what happened last year. Maybe it could happen again. Uh, flipping that record around to 4-1, and the Packers took it to the Cowboys. Um, they're up 17-0 as well. It made for a boring afternoon of games. There was only two games in the afternoon. Broncos were up 17-0 at halftime. Packers were up 17-0 at halftime. Um, Aaron Jones had his way with the Cowboys' defense, which is kind of surprising. Uh, he was 19 for 107 and four rushing touchdowns, which is just insane. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't need to do a lot because Aaron Jones was able to do it all. Um, so from one AA run to another in yeah, Dak Prescott threw for 460 yards, but 350, some of them, were in the second half when it didn't really matter. Um, this game was 31-3 to at one point, I think. And so, yeah, Prescott was able to throw. Cooper was able to have 11 catches for 226 yards and a touchdown, but it just didn't matter. Um, garbage time, 
garbage yards. Yeah, it's nice for fantasy, but that's about it. As the Cowboys fall to three and two, um, getting destroyed by the Packers here. And then you had the Sunday night game, which nobody saw coming. Uh, the Chiefs were not able to do anything. Mahomes started something like five for seven and then finished 17 for 32 or something like that. He was just bad. Um, he was able to get 320 yards still, but it just it seemed like the Colts had him figured out, and it was really weird. And that the Colts are playing without Malik Hooker. They're playing without Darius Leonard, two of their best defenders, best young defenders. Um, and you think the Chiefs playing at home against a team that's struggling on defense, ranked as one of the bottom defenses so far in the year against the pass, and the, the Chiefs just couldn't do anything. Uh, Marlon Mack ran all over the Chiefs, kind of helped control the ball, uh, 29 carries for 132 yards. And I think the Colts came into this game as like an 11-point underdog, and they won by six, which is a crazy swing. Just a 17-point swing is a lot. So the Chiefs get knocked off, and they are no longer undefeated. 4-1 uh, Colts are at 3-2, and two, so they're tied with the Texans for the lead in that division. And the Chiefs were one of three undefeated teams. Patriots won earlier in the day against the Redskins. Everyone expected that. Thought the Chiefs were going to win, but they weren't able to do that because Jacoby Brissett and the Colts are just feisty, which Alex has been harping on all year. And then the last undefeated team decided they would show up Monday, unlike the Chiefs did Sunday night. And the Niners just took it to Baker Mayfield and the Browns. And Baker Mayfield could have spiked the ball into the turf on every single play, and he would have had a higher rating. He got zero fantasy points, just had a terrible game, and... It's because Bosa was just in his head. He took it to him all game. A couple sacks. Um, should have got a sack at the end of the first half, but they called it intentional grounding instead, even though when you looked at replay, his knee was touching the ground. Then Bosa gets up, and he runs over to the end zone, and he does the flag wave and uh, slams it into the ground. It was a flake fla fake flag wave, but that's what Mayfield did when he was at um, Oklahoma. No. Yes. Yeah, that's what Mayfield did when he was in college. Um, and it was just funny that the Browns, after taking it to the Ravens last week, decided not to show up for a Monday night primetime game. Uh, Niners ran all over the Browns. Uh, they lead the league in rushing yards right now with 800 yards, I think, through four games. Maybe they don't lead the league in yards, but they lead the league in yards per game. They have 200 rushing yards a game. Uh, they're just able to control the clock control the game i think their first offensive play of this game for the niners was like an 83 yard touchdown run and then the niners improved to 4-0 and they're really surprising people um i had them in the playoffs alex didn't we made a bet on it and it's really looking good for me actually i think it was just a 500 bet which is kind of nice and the 49ers are able to take it to them. They win 31 to three, and they become just the second, or they are the second remaining undefeated team, albeit at four and zero. So you got New England quarterbacks at nine and zero right now. Um, and thankfully for the Dolphins, they had a bye this week. Um, they were still six and a half point underdogs, but they were able to come through without a loss. So that's good for them. Um, before we get to the week six previews, I want to say that. We got some beer on tonight's episode. It's a Ridge Run Stout from Backwoods Brewing Company in Carson, Washington. It's a really nice stout. I like it. I think it's only a pause during recording because I'm taking a drink of it like I'm going to do right now. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um, that beer is brought to you by Overflow Taps um, in Linden and Bellingham. You can check out their podcast as well if you would like. It's Overflow Taps Craft Beer Experience. Um, listen to them talk about some beer. And you can send them a DM on social media. Mention their podcast and ours to get entered into a drawing to win a mer merchandise package at the end of the football season. Uh, make sure to check them out on Facebook and Twitter, Twitter to be entered into it. And the cool thing about Overflow, when you go there, for every pint you buy, 25 cents is donated to help build wells in Africa. Just an awesome program, awesome way to give back, and an awesome way to help out. So if you're going to drink, might as well go to Overflow and do it so you can feel better about yourself for helping donate money to build wells in Africa. It's kind of awesome. Thanks, Overflow. Now on to the week six games. Um, and 
it really looks like so you got Giants Patriots Thursday night, and the underdogs are five and zero this season against the spread, four and one. Um, regardless, I think this week with the Rams not winning was the first time the underdog hadn't won. I do not expect the Giants to win this game. They're seventeen point underdogs. Yeah, they might cover. But New England's defense has been incredible. It's been one of the best defenses through five games in NFL history. And you got to think the Patriots are going to be able to handle the Giants in this game. Uh, Danny Dimes, this is going to be unlike anything he's played in the NFL so far. And I, I know, I know the Giants have been able to do things to the Patriots before when the odds are not in their favor. But this is just a whole different story right here. You're going into Foxborough on a Thursday night. And you got to play Brady and Belichick and all those guys. And you don't have Eli. You don't have Strahan. You don't have any of that kind of stuff on your team anymore. You got Daniel Jones throwing two Golden Tate. And that's like it. Maybe Sterling Shepard. Uh, Evan Ingram's out. Saquon's out. Wayne Gallman's out. So they got a third string running back in there. So it's going to be really tough for the Giants to do anything or at least to do enough to outscore the Patriots. And you got to think with the Patriots that they're going to really confuse and confound Daniel Jones. Um, but maybe they don't even try and try that hard because one of the things that came out last week in the Patriots game, uh, Adrian Peterson said it. He's, he was quoted as saying something along the lines of, when you watch the Patriots on defense, you can see they do a lot of exotic stuff meant to confuse you. And during the game against us today, they didn't have to do any of that. And that is pretty damning praise against your own team when you say that the opposing defense didn't really have to try because you guys are that bad. Um, I don't know if it's going to be like that in this game. The Giants have shown the ability to score some points. So they should be all right, but I don't expect them to win against the Patriots, especially in Foxborough in primetime. Um, and then we got another London game this week as well. Sounds like both teams got there on Wednesday this week. You got the Panthers playing the Buccaneers. Christian McCaffrey is just on an insane pace. He's already got six rushing touchdowns. He leads the league in yards from scrimmage. Uh, he's got more yards than the Jets by like 120. On the other side of the ball, you got Chris Godwin, who leads the Bucks in receiving yards. He's got 511 yards on six touchdowns as well. So you got a receiver on a crazy pace. So he's on pace for what, 1,550 yards, 16 touchdowns. But then you got McCaffrey, who's on pace to maybe break the yards from scrimmage record. He's doing things that haven't been done since Jim Brown. The most times a running back has gone over 175 yards from scrimmage in a season is five. McCaffrey's got four of those already. It's just, that's crazy that McCaffrey's having that kind of season. And if he can continue to carry the load like this for the Panthers, we need to have a real conversation about a running back winning the MVP because he's going to be on pace for over 20, 25 touchdowns, 2,500 yards from scrimmage, and taking his team to the playoffs. And I think it's a real argument to be made that he should be an MVP candidate. But then the other candidate, we'll talk about the next two in these next two games, is Russell Wilson. Um, 1,400 yards, 12 touchdowns, no picks, and incredibly accurate, too. Um, and he's going up against this Browns team who didn't show up last week. And if you don't show up against the Niners, you're, you can't play like that against the Seahawks either because they're going to do the same thing to you. Um, really, the only good thing for the Browns in this game is – a lot of times the Seahawks like to play to the level of their competition, but they're still able to pull it out in the end. came out the other day that um, Pete Carroll has eight straight one-point wins, or eight straight wins in one-point games, which is, just seems like ridiculous luck. Um, I don't know if that's going to be able to continue. Like That seems like just a luck-based thing instead of a skill-based thing. But Vegas at least expects a close game. Seattle's only favored by a point and a half. Um, I think that has changed as the week went on. Um, before the Monday night game, yeah, it's changed a lot. Before the Monday night game, the Browns were two and a half point favorites. So that point spread has swung four points. So Seattle is now a one and a half point favorite. Um, I don't know if Chubb's going to be able to run on the Browns like he's been running on some of the other teams this year that he's played. OBJ's really struggled to get in sync with um, Baker Mayfield, but Jarvis Landry has. He's got 400 yards. He's averaging 18 yards a catch. But it's going to be tough against the Seahawks. Um, I guess one of the things with the Hawks is normally they're a much better team on the home, at home than they are on the road, but you got the Browns who are 0-2 at home this year. So 
It should be a decent game. But I'm, I like the Seahawks in this one. And the last MVP candidate really that stands out with the three of them ahead of the rest of the class this year so far is Patrick Mahomes. They are taking on the Texans in Kansas City this week. Mahomes, he he started off the year insane. He was on pace for like 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns, but he's only got one passing touchdown in the last two weeks. He's still putting up a decent amount of yards. Um, it's it's funny to say that a guy's struggled and he leads the league in yards. He's got 1,800 yards still through five games. Um, so he's averaging about 340 yards a game. So he's still on pace for over 5,000. Uh, surprise for the Texans has been the reemergence of Carlos Hyde. He's averaging four and a half yards a carry, which is pretty good. It's above league average. Uh, so he's got 310 yards, a couple touchdowns, and it, it's a nice two-headed monster, but Duke Johnson just can't see to, to get away from Carlos Hyde, but it makes for nice weapons for Deshaun to have. And if the weather stays decent, it looks like it's supposed to be in the mid-60s in Kansas City. I would expect a high-scoring game to get over the line of 54 that's been set on this one. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't expect a 30, what, 38 to 34 type game, something like that. Protections show they can score a lot of points. And you know the Chiefs can score a lot of points. So if you're looking for a high-scoring game, I'd say this is the one to turn into, which is in complete comparison to the next one. Because if you just want diarrhea for your eyes, it's Redskins-Dolphins. Uh, 0-5 versus 0-4. And... The Redskins just fired their coach. The Dolphins are trying to lose every game as bad as they can. Their leading rusher on the year has 31 carries, 113 yards. They've played four games. So their leading rusher is averaging less than 30 yards a game. And that's pretty much in line with the Dolphins. Um, <clears throat> just things are not good in Miami right now. And there's just there's nothing good there. Football-wise or any otherwise, um, I guess. <clears throat> oh, wow. There we go. Uh, only good thing for the Dolphins is maybe they go 0-16 and get the number one pick, and they can start from there. Uh, they do have a lot of draft picks from some of the trades they've made. And the really the big difference in this game, even though Washington's favored, you can say that they're one of the three or four worst teams in football, along with the Dolphins. But the Dolphins are trying to do this. The Redskins weren't. That's about all I got on that one. Um, one of the best games this week is going to be Eagles-Vikings. Both teams are 3-2. and two. A win here would be huge to get to 4-2 and two in the NFC. Um, you're probably going to need 10 wins to get into the playoffs in the NFC. I don't think there's going to be any 9-win teams this year unless it's a division winner, which I don't see happening either. Um, all the divisions look good enough that you're probably going to have 10-win teams. And this game's in Minnesota. Uh, Vegas has these teams pretty even, only a three-point favorite for Minnesota here. Last week, Kirk Cousins looked like he could throw. Um, if he's able to throw against his Eagles team, it's going to say a lot more than it did last week. Carson Wentz is starting to get weapons back. I think Deshaun Jackson's coming back this week or next week. I don't remember what the final word was on that. Um, I think this is going to come down to can Dalvin Cook continue to carry this offense, though. Uh, 542 yards on 92 carries, so he's averaging 6 yards a carry just about. And if Dalvin Cook's able to help the Vikings control this game, keep their defense on the field for just under half the game, I think the Vikings are able to take this one. And then you got Mustache Magic versus Teddy Two Gloves. Not the game people thought they were going to see when the season started, but for some reason... I think I'm missing something here because Vegas still has Jacksonville as a favorite in this one. It's only by a point. But I still think the Saints are better. Um, Bridgewater showed he could throw the ball last week with those four touchdowns. It's not easy to throw four touchdowns in a game, regardless of who you're playing or who you are, and he was able to do it. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do it against this Jaguars team. It was a very good pass rush. But the Saints have shown their ability to game plan, especially with Michael Thomas on all those short passes. Maybe they get Jared Cook more involved and get the ball out quickly. you got to remember Kamara, too. About almost half of Fournette's yards this season on the ground came in one game, that game against Denver. I think he had 230 out of his 512 in that game. And then you got the mustache. Uh, 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns already. He's pretty much played the full season. Foles went down in the first game. But you got to wonder if the mustache magic starts to run out or if he keeps it going at home to get the Jaguars back to 3-3 three and three against the Saints here. And it, it 
it should be an interesting game. Weather's going to be hot. That mustache is going to be shiny. I'm looking forward to that one. Game I'm I'm looking forward to as well, but I'm also worried about is Bengals at the Ravens. The Bengals have played the Ravens well in the past, regardless of how good their team is. I don't know if this is a divisional thing, but in the past they've had more than one weapon. Right now they got Tyler Boyd. And yeah, you got Tyler Eifert, but he can't doesn't play that often and he's banged up. Um you got Mixon, but he hasn't been able to get going because the team's usually down by so much right away. And I don't know if this is going to be a Ravens stick Marlon Humphrey on Tyler Boyd to shut him down and then hope that the rest of their defense, which has looked unreasonably or just is not normal for them to be that bad. You look at their offense and defense rankings. If I told you that one of them was three and one of them was 29 in almost any year, you'd think it was third defense, 29th offense. It's the other way around. The Ravens have the third best offense in football right now and the 29th defense. I still like the Ravens at home. I don't think the Bengals are good enough to beat the Ravens. Um, if anything, Mark Ingram's going to have a great game because the Bengals have a terrible rush defense. So look for Ingram and the rest of the run game to just take over this game and win for the Ravens fairly handily. A uh, big division game, unlike the Ravens-Bengals one, which is kind of disappointing from a record standpoint, is the 49ers are traveling to the Rams to play. 49ers are looking to keep their undefeated record going. And the Rams haven't looked that great this year. Um, I said it earlier, Goff's got a lot of yards, but it comes in these games where they're down and they can't run the ball, so they're just throwing a ton. So yeah, he's got a lot of yards, but it's on a ton of attempts. I think he might lead the league in attempts. He's already thrown 222 times, which funny enough is exactly the same amount as Matt Ryan, just because that's the next game on here. Um, but 222 times through five games. So he's on pace for almost 700 attempts. That is a lot. That's insane. Um, I, I don't think that'll continue with how often the Niners run the ball. I think this is going to be a lower scoring game uh, somewhere in the teens. But it should be a great game. Um, so it just leads to another one on the morning slate that should be great to turn into. One that will not be is a battle of some crappy bird teams, Falcons-Cardinals. You got Matt Ryan, who, like I said, he's thrown 222 times as well. He's on pace for about 700. You do got Julio and Stephen Ridley and, or sorry, Calvin Ridley and all those guys to watch on offense for Atlanta, but their defense is just so bad that I would think that Kyler Murray and David Johnson are going to have some nice days. Maybe if you're playing some daily fantasy type, those are two guys to look out for. They might be fairly expensive, but against this terrible Falcons team that you saw what a team like the Texans could do, and I'm not saying that Arizona has weapons like they do, but David Johnson and Fitzgerald and Kyler Murray should be able to go off, and I just imagine it would be way more if Christian Kirk was able to play in this game. But as the Falcons head to Arizona, the question around Atlanta is going to be, does Dan Quinn keep his job, especially if he loses to this Arizona team? Uh, Quinn got rid of their defensive coordinator in the preseason or in the offseason so that he could take more responsibility and be in charge of that defense, and it has not looked good at all. So it's going to be a thing to watch in this game is more than the players is does Dan Quinn keep his job? Um, and some field goal kicking woes or tragedies for the next two teams is Titans-Broncos because if the Titans could kick field goals, they'd have a better record. And if teams couldn't kick against the Broncos, they'd be 3-2 as well. Uh, Tennessee heads to Denver for this one. And it's going to be interesting to see how Derrick Henry is able to do against this Denver rush defense. And if Tennessee is going to be able to continue to limit turnovers to hopefully get back to 500. Or if Denver's going to show that, yeah, the 0-4 start was a fluke and we are kind of that 500 team that some people thought we were going to be at the beginning of the season. Flacco looked good. Um, he's thrown the ball decent so far this year. He's averaging, he's averaging 250 yards a game, somewhere in there. Decent percentage. Um, starting to find a rhythm with his receivers with Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders. Um, he really likes his tight ends. And with the with um, gosh, problem with doing this yourself is if you go on a or you have a mind blank that you just cannot. Philip Lindsay, there we go, running back for the Broncos, that he has looked good. And if Denver is able to play like they did last week, I think t things are going to be tough for Tennessee. 
in this game in Denver. Um, the last Sunday afternoon game is Cowboys at the Jets. Uh, looks like Sam Darnold's going to be back for this game, which should really turn the Jets season around from a complete garbage team to just a not very good team. Uh, they're 0-4. They're 0-2 at home. And Dallas is going to be looking to rebound after back-to-back losses to the Saints and the Packers. Yeah, they lost to two 4-1 teams, but it still hurts having back-to-back losses for a team that many thought would win the division. Um, Dak's looking to rebound. Yeah, he threw for 460 yards, but the team got destroyed, and he looked bad in the first quarter or first half. He didn't have a yard on third down, which is really weird to think that a guy threw for 460 yards and didn't have a passing yard on third down all game. So Dallas is looking to turn their offense around and have that defense that looked really good during the first four weeks show up more against this Jets team where this game could get ugly real quick because the Jets are prone to turnovers. Um, Darnold coming in the first game back, he might not have all his stamina back. When you get mono, it takes a while to get your stamina back. And if that's the case against the Cowboys, Darnold could be in for a long day. And then the Sunday night game, which looked way more appetizing at the start of the season is Steelers at Chargers. And just, I don't know what to expect with the Steelers. Um, Get that back up in there. Yeah, he gets a week to prepare, but it's just going to be a whole different thing because now people are going to kind of know who he is and what to expect, what he likes to do. And the Chargers are, yeah, they lost last week, but they got Gordon back. And when you have Gordon and Eckler in the backfield, it's really difficult, especially with the, you're going to see him in there as a lot of two-back sets, I think, with Eckler going in motion, kind of like the Lions did last year where they moved Reddick out to like a slot receiver or their third receiver. The injuries that the Chargers have on offense, especially the receiving core, you could see Eckler lining up outside a lot or at least in a receiver position to get them both out there. Um, he has a lot of catches this year. He leads the team in carries. He's not going to continue to lead the team in carries, at least through the end of the year, as Gordon gets more involved in it. But if Eckler is able to open up Keenan Allen a little bit more, things could be good for the Chargers here as they look to get back to 500 and put the Steelers down to 1-5 if they lose this game. And if the Steelers lose this game and go to 1-5, I'd say it's all but guaranteed that they miss the playoffs. It's very difficult to be 1-5 and and make the playoffs. I know you had the Colts last year. I think they were 1-4. I don't know if they were 1-5. But it's just really difficult to get back from. And they gave up their first-round pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick. And if this team falls to 1-5... It just all the signs, especially with all the injuries to quarterback and the lost talent, all signs show them finishing like five, six win team, which is gonna be a top ten pick. So you give up a top ten pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick's good, but I would rather have a top ten pick. And I don't know about you, but having that top ten pick, having to be a guy that you definitely want, that you have the five year control of, I think that means the Steelers lost that trade. And yeah, time will tell, and I, I hope the Chargers win this game, obviously, with the, the bias and everything, but I just don't know if the Steelers are good enough to, to get out of this 1-4 hole. Uh, last game of the week, Lions at Packers is the Monday night game. Uh, it's a great Monday night game. It should be really good. Um, Lions have looked really good this year. Yeah, they had that weird game against the Cardinals, but I think maybe, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe Detroit knows what they're doing. 2-1-1, uh, and one, Packers are 4-1. and one. This game is in Green Bay. Uh, it is earlier in the year. You're still in the middle of October. So you don't have to worry about the weather as much. Um, Aaron Jones had those four touchdowns last week. Uh, that's half his touchdown total on the ground this year. He's only got 300 yards. Um, so most of his offense came in that one game against the Cowboys, which is kind of weird. And Aaron Rodgers, he he's had some really, really nice drives. But he's had some really, really bad ones too. Um, He'll drive down the field. He'll look like prime Aaron Rodgers. And it's like, okay, Aaron Rodgers has got it figured out. And then it's like two quarters, and he doesn't do anything. And you have to wonder, because Aaron Rodgers is getting up there, uh, 36, I think. And, he, yeah, he didn't start till late. I think he didn't really start till he was 25. But you have to wonder if, as he ages and is able to move around less, is he going to be able to turn into the – pocket passer and learn how to navigate the pocket better as he ages um a big question for this game is going to be Devonte adams it looks like he was ruled out if i read it right and i think that's going to make this game a lot closer than it would be if he was in there um, obviously their best offensive weapon being out is going to make it easier for detroit to defend them and i just don't 
know if the Packers are going to be able to hold off the Lions in this one. I think it's going to be close. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great way to finish out the week. Um, so I think we should have a great week six of football. It should be a nice uh, nice end of the week with that Packers-Lions game. Um, we'll get to gambling as we end the episode. Um, remember, it's betting 110 to win $100. Only do it where it's legal. Um, I'm 9-6 and six on the year, so I'm up $240 if you've been listening to me. Uh, Alex is slowly making a comeback. He's 7-8, and eight, but he's not going to catch up to me this week because he made all the same picks as me. Uh, once again, oh, Landon did make some picks, um, which is surprising because he hasn't done it in a couple weeks. Uh, first game is Saints at Jaguars, and the Jaguars are one-point favorites in this one. And I don't know if it's Minshew Magic. I don't know if it's because it's in Jacksonville. But I like the Saints in this one. I like the Saints to win. And I really think the Saints are going to kind of take it to the Jaguars, that maybe that magic runs out and the Jaguars finally have a bad game. So I got the Saints to win this one, and Alex and Landon agree with me. Next game is Seahawks at Browns. Uh, when this line opened Monday, when I grabbed everything, all the lines, uh, the Browns were two-and-a-half-point favorites. And I don't think the Browns are going to win by field goal. I think the Seahawks are good enough to keep this game close and probably win, especially with how it looks like the Browns' personalities are really affecting their play on the field. So I like the Seahawks here. Alex agrees with me. But Landon likes the Browns to win by at least three. I don't know if that's just the Seahawks' hate or like a reverse jinx type thing or because he secretly loves the Seahawks. But he's picking the Browns here in this one. Uh, last one, the homer coming out. Ravens playing the Bengals in Baltimore. Ravens are a 10-point favorite, and I'm a little worried of like a backdoor cover with how Dalton throws the ball so much in the second half. But I like the Ravens to win something like 27 to 13 in this game, and Alex and Landon agree with me. So we got Saints to win the game because they're a one-point underdog. Uh, Hawks to keep it within two, and the Ravens to win by more than 10. So those are the bets for the week. Um, remember, if you're going to gamble, to only do it where it's legal. And as it gets colder out, you should head to House of Hoodies, thehouseofhoodies.com. Get a cool hoodie. Use promo code SHOTS to get 15% off your order. Um, I think that'll be about do it. If you want to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Late Night Shots. Get over to Patreon, Anchor. Got a bunch of different sites to check out the podcast. So make sure to do that to check out all Late Night Shot stuff. Get it.